0: Hey food businesses, today I got to interview Ali for the first time officially. I'm so excited to share this interview with you because we go in-depth on a few juicy topics. We'll talk about why you need to see the full picture and have a plan for what comes next and not just get television after getting on the shelf, getting a distributor and more. Why it's so important to find a branding team that has packaged design experience and how building your business on your terms and your timeline can set you up for success. Let's get into it. I'm Allie Ball, former grocery buyer and
1: retail store manager turned wholesale consultant. In my role on the retail floor, I saw delicious, values-driven brands fail on our shelves simply because they didn't understand the behind the scenes of wholesale. I created the Food Biz Whiz podcast to give you hard-to-access insight from my career in the food industry and the tools and strategies to help you succeed on retail shelves. If you're a committed food founder who's looking to create and grow a packaged products business that positively impacts our food system, puts wealth back into your own hands, and employs members of your local community, you have found the right podcast. Let's do this. Before we dive in, here is your invite to my free fourth quarter masterclass and retail ready. In this newly updated training, I'm sharing my three steps to growing your packaged food business, and I'm highlighting the top mistakes that I see founders make as you try to connect with those busy wholesale buyers right now, as you try to convince them to say yes to carrying your product line, and as you grow your sales. This hour-long webinar is jam-packed with advice that you can use to jumpstart your growth right now, even during the holiday season, plus you'll get information and an invite to join us inside of Retail Ready, our online program that helps you land on more shelves and have high sales once you're there. We are increasing the price of Retail Ready by $400 in January. So if you've been considering it, now is your time to lock in our 2022 pricing, even if you choose the payment plan option, and to secure lifetime access to our course, our strategic support, and our community. I'll link up that masterclass in the show notes, and you can watch it on your own schedule. And I
0: hope to see you inside of Retail Ready this quarter. Hi, everyone. Welcome to episode 171 of the Food BizWiz podcast today. If this is the first time that I'm on your earbuds or your car speaker uh, or any other speaker, my name is Gabby, and I'm the Student Success Coordinator here at Retail Ready. I support students inside Retail Ready by providing Relevant resources for their questions, supporting around tech, and support many of the behind the scenes logistics here at Food Baseways. I'm so so excited for today's episode because it's going to be something we haven't done on the podcast yet until today. Uh, I'm interviewing, maybe grilling Allie (laughs) inside (laughs) of uh, in this episode on some CPG topics, so we really get to hear Allie be the interviewee, and I'm thrilled to pick Allie's brain. So. I was going to start us off with some uh, how's your day questions but I wanted to get right into the juicy topics so how does that sound? That sounds great and Gabby I'm
1: I'm really excited for this episode too. Uh like you said it's rare
0: that I get to be on
1: the other side of things. <laughs> so when you proposed it I I um I got really excited. So thanks for having me and I'm just going to like spill the beans here and say that you're going to do an episode like this with Charlie next week as well. Right?
0: Exactly. Yeah. So I'll mention this at the end of the episode, but so, so excited to, be able to sort of like do the flip between like you, our buyer perspective, Charlie, our producer perspective, or manufacturer perspective, and hear a little bit of the differences. So, so excited for that.
1: Yeah. I'm excited for that. Let's get into it.
0: All right. So I know you've shared a little bit about this on the podcast before, but for newer listeners, how did you get into the grocery space?
1: Yeah. So... It's funny, Gabby. I don't even, I don't know if you even know this full story. So, I was working for a company that did corporate team building and management training here in San Francisco. And we worked for big clients like Google and Facebook and Genentech and was really like kind of in the tech space. And I was pretty young. I was in my early 20s and I did that for a couple of years. And I was like, I got to do something different. Like, I got to, I got I to change it up here. So Ian my he was my boyfriend at the time my now husband we both quit our jobs and we traveled for a couple months. I we actually went to India for almost 3 months and then we got back to San Francisco I and I was like yeah yeah we actually we had a friend who worked for the state department and she was stationed in Mumbai and her her thing was ending so we were like it's now or never we got to go oh, visit we got to do this now <laughs> totally totally so we went for a couple months and it gave me a lot of reflection time and you know like so many people who come into our industry i was like i want to feel more connected to our food systems i want to um i i just i i want to know more about our food and i lived right around the corner from byright market so i was already a shopper there and knew a lot of the staff. And so I was just like scrolling Craigslist, looking for a job, like somehow in the food industry and a grocery buyer position came up on Craigslist. This was back in like 2008. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: And I remember reading the job description and I was like, I could do that. Like, I'm like, you know, this is like the confidence of a 20, two-year-old, right? I was like, (laughs) I was like, oh, I can totally do that. Like people management, check, like budgets, check, you know, love of food, check. Like I got this. So I applied and sure enough, like for some, like the, some miracle they brought me in for an interview. (laughs) And Gabby, I'll tell you like the interview process lasted almost four weeks. I had like almost, you know, almost like 10 hours of interview and trial shift and like all of that sort of stuff. It turns out I was the first manager that they hired from outside of the organization. So mm-hmm. yeah, I was employee number 68 when I started at Byright, And by the time I left, we had over 350 employees. So it was a really big deal for them to um, hire externally for this role and, and, and such. Like I went through a very rigorous application process and I'm really, really grateful that they took a shot on me. So that's how I got in the door. Like in the first place, it was like a total random Craigslist (laughs) ad. (laughs)
0: It's really funny. I don't think we have like, I knew generally what the, like what the journey was for you, but didn't know, like, you know, traveling and then like wanting, you know, that what you mentioned of like wanting to feel more connected to food Mm -hmm. and also just like by right being so close to you and it being like, okay, this is like one of the places that I shop regularly. And this is like, you know, for our neighborhood. Like yeah,
1: totally. Like, and yeah, i like, I have the most ridiculous story about going into Byrate for the first time. I had just i moved to San Francisco from Copenhagen, where i I did stu- part of my study abroad in Copenhagen, and then went back and worked for the University of Copenhagen, and. One of the, one of my favorite things about Copenhagen is that they do something called Eulafrokost, which is a Christmas party. It's like parties during the Christmas season. And typically you serve all of these like traditionally like Nordic foods, these Danish foods and stuff. And so I was like, I need lingonberry. And I was like, I need something like super <laughs> out there, like, like, <laughs> like a like reindeer <laughs> or something. <laughs> exactly. And so I went into Byrate looking for lingonberry and... They didn't have it, but it really, uh, I just remember it. the service was so incredible. And I, you know, ended up just buying a whole bunch of other wonderful things for my Ulifro coast. And from that moment on, I was hooked on, on buy,
0: And the, you know, what they offered in, in specialty food. Yeah, actually, this is funny because, um, I don't know if I've mentioned this to you before either. Uh, it's like now going off script, but, uh, when you told me that you worked at byright I had been like, well, like, that's amazing because when I was, you know, I also have, like, a little bit of, a like, passion for food and, and background, mm-hmm. and when I was applying to jobs, um, like, way earlier in my, like, career when I was in college, I was like, byright seems so cool. Like, I would love to work at byright and I almost applied, but then I was like, and I live in Southern California, and I was like, okay. Yeah, I was like, Gabby, you didn't even live in San Francisco. <laughs> <I was> like, <laughs> yeah, you were like, what? Like, why would you apply? Like, you don't even live here. <laughs> Um, but I considered it for like a hot minute, and then I was like, okay, no, this is not practical. But fast that's forward, so like, funny! Yeah. I didn't know we had that connection. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's like, funny. Yeah,
1: what Buy does, and
0: the, you know how intentional it is with like sourcing and with local products. Like, that's amazing. Yeah.
1: It was a really special place to work. So when I started there, it was just the single location. It was by right 18th street. And my role there was as a grocery buyer, helping choose products for our shelves and helping nurture up and coming producers in the food industry. It was this unique time in our industry where I, where we, you know, not to say that they don't still do this, but we really valued being connected to the producer. And oftentimes, we were the first wholesale account for these young producers. And so it meant I spent a lot of time nurturing folks and like almost acting as an in-house consultant, helping these brands understand what it would take to succeed on our shelves. And then we decided to open Buy Right Diviz. This was in 2013. And... I spent gosh over a year in that role like pre prior to opening helping determining our opening strategy our schematics our merchandising our <laughs> inventory practices we hired over 100 people for that first location and um moved over to Divis for a while uh, in the role of head of grocery mm-hmm. and then um decided that I had you know outgrown by right in the nicest of ways it was it was time for me to move along and make a different impact in our industry so that was about eight years ago that i
0: left By right, and i mean yeah now we have you here this is amazing i'm so like i'm so glad that you have all this experience that you bring to to brands because it's so transformative to see like and, and i know you've talked about this a little bit before but like the difference of being able to like share that experience and inform brands and hopefully you know put them on a path that is a path of success for their for their brand. So. Incredible. Thank you. Awesome. Thank you. When
1: I left Byright, I, gosh, okay. So this, this was about eight years ago, over eight years ago at this point. I left Byright and I started splitting my time between consulting with producers, consulting on the brand side, and consulting with other retail stores around the United States. Mm-hmm. And that time, I don't talk about that time very much, but that time was really important to me as I, you know, Byron's kind of the holy grail in a way, right? Like our systems <laughs> were really strong. We really valued the producer. Like, you know, they're a really, really wonderful account to, you know, to sell to and to to grow with. And it was really eye-opening for me to work with other retailers around the country <laughs> and and realize that um, you know, just how you know, just how old school our industry is and and just how um challenging it is to work with wholesale accounts who aren't as organized as Byray was. I'll I'll leave it at that. I'll say, I'll, I'll leave it <laughs> at that in like a nice way.
0: <laughs> All right. <laughs> thank you. Well, thank you for sharing that. Yeah. yeah. So I mean, I think that leads really well into our next question, which is, I mean, as you entered the industry, what are some of the biggest immediate takeaways that you learned about, you know, like you said, the grocery, the retail industry, um, especially concerning that like, you know, like you said you came in as like someone from tech or someone like as a layperson kind of a consumer consumer end shopper end only and then into being you know right in the thick of things as a buyer totally
1: bodyguard. yeah i think the biggest eye opening eye opener for me was how much it is about financial health mm-hmm. of the store and not just about selling delicious products. And, you know, when (laughs) I say that now, you know, 10 years, I'm like, yeah, well, duh, Allie, like they are a business as well. But I think they're, I didn't quite realize how many moving parts it takes to put products on our shelves and how much margin is extracted at every single touch point along the supply and distribution chain and how it, Directly impacts what is put on our shelves, and again, you know, this is where I say we were really fortunate. I was really fortunate to be at Buyrate, where we did have such a focus on supporting local producers and supporting emerging brands. But then, like, you know, my eyes were even wider <laughs> as I worked with other retailers and found that it, in many instances, it is just like a race to the bottom and about all about gaining margin and making sure that departments are financially stable.
0: Yeah, exactly. Like, I mean, when you step into almost any store, but especially a grocery store, it's like you're so, you're receiving so much information, like you have so many choices to make, like for most people yeah. the you know, the overall, like big picture of what a grocery store does is sort of so lost on everyone as a consumer, because you're like, you're just so like in the thick of like making these decisions and like, what am I making for dinner? And you just don't consider that this itself is a business that needs to be running it like without healthy margins.
1: Absolutely. And I think, you know, from the producer perspective for our listeners, we even see this inside of retail ready, Gabby. I'm sure you can see you, you notice this as well, is that often producers have that same consumer mindset that I did, right? Like, why can't they just carry my artisanal salt? (laughs) Why
0: can't they they have so many products? Like what's one more?
1: Totally. It totally, right? Like what's one more and like mine's better. (laughs) Like whatever mine tastes more (laughs) delicious. And I think so often the, the eye opener here for producers is recognizing that the buyer's goals, the buyer's goals are almost always around sales and margin. So when you're pitching your product to buyers, you have to have that sales pitch that's based on what can I do to help that grocery buyer or produce buyer, or meat buyer, or whatever, that wholesale buyer. What can I do as the producer that helps them meet their sales or margin goals in my category?
0: Yeah, exactly. We've talked a little bit about this before, I think in a I'm blanking on the podcast episode. Mm-hmm. But when we were talking about like data and including, you know, the importance of including yeah. those numbers and those points in your in your pitches because of how clear of a picture it paints for for buyers around what your product placement means for their store.
1: Exactly, how to like make it a yes for them, right? And then the other like kind of fun thing, Gabby, is that (laughs) once I started working in retail, I learned that there are like sneaky tricks of the trade to get people to spend more money in grocery stores. Like I worked with one retailer who would literally like (laughs) because it's so ridiculous they would like roast their chickens under this like big like suction fan thing that then pumped the like (laughs) delicious roast chicken smell throughout the store like into the like you know heating or whatever the a the ac system um to make shoppers more hungry right in the dinner hour when they were shopping I'm like, oh my God, like, you know, stuff like that. There are literally people like um audio consultants who design, you know, like the audio experience in grocery stores to make, I don't know, to make people like more relaxed, more calm, like ready to spend more money. Like all of there's so many like tricks yeah. that make shoppers um
0: spend more money in grocery. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> there's so many things too. Like I learned um even just like I, you know, learning more about consumer behavior is so interesting. Like this is not a grocery store thing, but like, even if, um, like in casinos, like if you ever, you know, if you're in a casino and you notice that like, they always have the craziest, like the, not crazy, but like the most patterned carpet ever. And I learned this because that is trained so that your eyes are overwhelmed looking at the floor and you look up towards the casino, like the slot machines, (gasps) same thing with the mirrors. It's because it is training you to like constantly look inwards towards the slot machines. And that's also why there's no windows. So you have no concept of like what time it is or like how late it is. And it's like all of those things are designed to make you look up towards the slot machines.
1: And consequently, like do the thing they want you to do, which is spend money on the slots. Oh my God, Gabby, you are blowing my mind here because I was just like, these casinos need an update on their like carpet it's so wacky
0: (laughs) yeah or like even I mean I guess within the grocery space like I didn't I never noticed this until um yeah someone pointed out to me which is that like a lot of cereal brands or like children's brands will put cartoon characters on them that are eye level because kids are like walking by and they're like yeah like eye level for the little kids right Yeah. I guess that that also goes in with like where the product is physically placed on the shelf, but Mm -hmm. if it's lower on the shelf and kids are seeing it,
1: they're like, oh, okay. Totally. Like, I mean, I'm going to tell you, we used to have a donut bin at Byright that we very strategically put a little bit lower (laughs) so that it was um, closer to eye level for the little kids who would, who would come in and be like, oh, you know, dad, I want a donut. And then sure enough, dad, buys the kid a donut. Yeah, yeah. Or even Gabby, here's one other one. um, One last one I'll share is that you can increase the basket average. You know, that is the average purchase price, um, the average transaction price Mm -hmm. just by giving people shopping baskets. And so, you know, and it makes so much sense, (laughs) right? It's like, if you only have, if you have two hands, you can hold, you know, two, three, four things, right?
0: (laughs) Maybe if you have a little ambitious.
1: Exactly. (laughs) If you have a basket, you can fill it up with stuff. So it is very, um, you know, a very simple trick is if you are a retail store listener here, um, train your staff to give people baskets when they're empty, when, when they don't have them, uh, and your basket average will increase.
0: Wow. Yeah. This is another quick one, but similar to the, the chicken one that you talked about, uh, one of my local stores would always promise, um, having freshly baked baked French bread at like four o'clock, which is like, that's, this is like prime time for when people are getting off of work and like buying their dinner items. So it's like, okay, fresh bread, four o'clock. Like, yes. <laughs> knowing their audience and like what their audience is doing or shoppers, but.
1: Well, and Gabby, let's talk about this, that it's like ingrained in your brain.
0: However, like a decade later, you're like, oh yeah, that <laughs> yeah. store
1: still has that's fresh bread one. at four o'clock, fresh bread at four, right? Like, Gosh, what a marketing, a good marketing play on their part.
0: Yeah. So many little tricks. So thank you for bringing that up. That's such a fun, juicy (laughs) topic there. Um, All right. So going into sort of the more, um, I guess, technical terms, what are some of the couple top terms that new CPG brands absolutely need to know when entering the retail industry? Okay. I'm going to go ahead. Quick rundown of what those terms mean.
1: Yeah. Okay. So I'm going to put on my like, you know, 10 years ago buyer hat and think <laughs> about like what these really young brands needed to know or like where they made the mistakes or where they stumbled when they were pitching to me way back when. And so Gabby, I've got like two things that I want to, to talk about. I want to talk about markup versus margin. And then I want to talk about brokers versus distributors. So I think there's a lot of confusion there. So with markup versus Margin. It's really essential that our listeners understand the difference between the two in their businesses. So, retail stores track their net profit, right, by calculating their profit margin in their sales. So we need all food producers to use margin when calculating their financials as well. And so Gabby, I'm actually curious if you, if I feel like I've been on like a crusade to spread this (laughs) info in our industry, but so often I would see young producers come in having done their financials off of a markup percentage rather than profit margin on their sales. Right. So I can talk a little bit about the difference between the two, but I'm curious, have you seen people make that mistake inside of retail ready or have I successfully spread
0: the word? I, yeah. I very rarely uh, see people <clears throat> make that mistake. Like, I think it's something that it's like, I, I not kind of see it like on a cycle where it's like someone who's new to retail ready mm-hmm. uh, maybe like earlier on and pretty quickly or like not quickly, but like pretty early on in being in retail ready. will maybe like confuse the two and then we're pretty quick to be like <laughs> Yeah, we're like Mm-mm. like hold on like let's we can pause back here it up here. Like yeah, using the right terms for it. But other than that, once someone is like farther on in retail ready I
1: well, it's a really costly mistake to make because it, it messes up your financials. So let's, you know, Gabby, you know, this one of my rules is like no live math on, on zoom calls. Yes, exactly. So in our support, in our support calls in retail ready every day, anytime anyone's like, Ellie, like, let's, let's calculate some margins. I'm like, mm, let's, let's do that with pen and paper. Yeah. So, but let me, let me do some financial examples here. So Let's talk about markup first. And markup is the thing that you do not want to use. So markup is the amount that is added to the cost of a product to determine the selling the selling price. So for example, if a store is like, I want to have a 50% markup on every product in my store, and they're buying a chocolate bar at $5 wholesale price, and they give it a 50% markup, that's $2.50, right? 50% of $5 price mm-hmm. makes the retail price $7.50, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, so that's our, if we use markup here, we get a $7.50 chocolate, chocolate bar. Okay, so gross margin on the other hand, and margin is what we want to use here. So a margin is the amount of profit, that the store receives from an item after all of the costs have been taken into consideration. So again, that grocery store, let's say you still want to sell that chocolate for 750, right? Mm-hmm. And still same wholesale cost, five dollars. And so if if we our sales prices, our selling price is 750 and our wholesale price is five dollars, our margin is 33%, not that 50% markup, right? So you can see here that if someone That's thinks 33%, different. yeah, 33% in their mind, and the other person is thinking 50%, we have a, a big difference. Um, so it's the same cost, right? Same wholesale cost, same selling price, but really different results if we use markup versus margin. So Gabby, I actually have it, it can be hard to follow along with numbers and stuff, especially over a like podcast. You're like, yeah, you're like, mm. <laughs> So I have a video um, that I think does a really, really great example of walking through this. And they use some visuals as well. It's actually totally outside of the food industry. It's for like a landscaping industry. Um, <laughs> but it's it's really, really helpful. So maybe we can link that video in the show notes. And then we can link up our favorite margin calculator as well.
0: Yeah, for sure. I'll go ahead and link those up in the show notes. And then if you guys are watching in a podcast player or you know Spotify or Apple Podcasts, just make sure you follow through to those full show notes on our site and you'll get those links.
1: Awesome. Yeah. So yeah, markup first margin is a, a big one that people yeah, mess it. up in the beginning. And like I said, it can be really, really costly because
0: you're calculating your financials incorrectly. Yeah. And then when you're having conversations, you're like, oh wait, uh, like, and then it <laughs> I'm sure it like opens a whole like level of, you know, messiness when you're like, wait, 33%, 50%, like.
1: Totally. And like, gosh, I mean, let's just talk about on a, um, an emotional level. If you are like in that buyer meeting and you realize like, oh shoot, like I did this incorrectly. Like that's a blow to your self-esteem and it makes you question like if you know what you're doing and you know, it makes
0: you, it's.
1: it's tough to be in that situation where you're like, oh, just another thing. I don't know about our industry.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: No one wants that feeling.
0: Yeah. Especially in front of someone who's like, you're trying to, you know, obviously like, give a good impression to you and like, I want to be in their store. Like, totally. To to I mean, I'll tell
1: that. you, Gabby, like when I was a new buyer, I, it took me a while to wrap my head around this as well. And like, to this day, I still use a margin calculator. I remember like <laughs> my colleagues <laughs> at BuyRide right would just like do it on their like... You know, just like old school pen and paper, like on their phone, or like literally on a calculator. And I'm like, I'm I I will always use the Margin app. (laughs) (laughs) And there's no shame in that, right? So, like for our listeners, use the Margin app. Don't like no need to memorize the the formula.
0: (laughs) Right off the top of your head, exactly. Yeah. Um, Awesome. So yeah, I'll include those links in our show notes. And then I know you also mentioned earlier talking about the difference between a broker and a distributor. So
1: yeah, I'll keep this one short and sweet. But I think one of the the one of the mistakes that we see folks make is thinking that once they have
0: a distributor, they're set, that the distributor <laughs> will help increase sales i'm I'm Um, laughing here because i think charlie was probably going to say something very similar
1: (laughs) (laughs) i bet so right like this is something that we love to talk about inside of retail ready this is a a huge huge um a a huge thing that our producers need to know that a distributor will not save you here right Mm -hmm. so a on a high level and maybe i'll 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 keep it short because Thinking Charlie can go deeper in here, but on a like from a high level, a broker brokers the sale. They literally sell your product for you. A distributor distributes your products around. They focus (laughs) on the logistics, right? And the here's the problem, Gabby, is that like eat that broker or excuse me, that distributor is gonna tell you that they are going to help you with your sales and they're gonna like promise you the world. But I have yet to find a distributor (laughs) who actually fulfills on those sales promises. So I'll leave it at that and see if Charlie, (laughs) you know, expands on it.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I'm excited to hear what Charlie says because this came up in a a call yesterday, actually, for uh, listeners. We had a a question and answer call yesterday in retail ready. And that thing, you know, (laughs) Charlie's line about like the agent and yes oh my gosh do you want
1: to, you, you could share it I thought that was a really funny uh yeah, a great right. analogy
0: Charlie was talking about how I think he said he was talking to somebody who was from LA and this person was like oh and they were talking about distributors and, and brokers and Charlie said that this person said oh so is a distributor like your agent <laughs> and in those terms, Charlie was like, No, your broker is your agent. They're the one who's, like you said, Ali, literally brokering the deals or getting you into the or, yeah, getting you into those deals. Your distributor is gonna be like your Uber driver getting you to the places. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so that is a very funny LA analogy.
1: I love that. Yeah. So the agent, the agent like gets you the commercial or the audition, right? And then the Uber drives you there. So your broker versus your distributor. I like that.
0: (laughs) An analogy to think through. (laughs) Yeah. For our LA brands. (laughs) Awesome. Well, yeah. Thank you for sharing all your thoughts there. So as a buyer, you had lots of experience in the logistical side of things from, you know, placing orders to physically stocking products on the shelves. Are there any, you know, physical logistical Logistical considerations that brands need to consider around merchandising—you know, uh, designing their packaging or rebranding, or even just like hoping to get on the shelf in the in that stage.
1: Yeah, there are so many things to think about here, Gabby. I think one of the mistakes. Let's talk about packaging design because I think that's a that's a big one. One of the mistakes that I see brands make is hiring a you know, quote, unquote, graphic designer to do their packaging. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, and this is, not, I don't want to throw shade, right? Like I get that yeah. folks have a budget, right? Like I diy so much of my business stuff myself for the first, I mean, gosh, the first seven years, like we, we literally hired a web designer for the first time last year. Um, so I, I get it, but so often I see that brands just hire a graphic designer like on Fiverr or Upwork, and it's someone who doesn't have experience designing physical packaging, right? So designing a physical package is very different than designing a banner or a website or a flyer or a wedding invitation or whatever that is, right? And... As such, I often see young brands who who have worked with professional designers, and they actually might be really great professional designers, but who don't have experience selling food and beverage or designing food and beverage products. So when that happens, yeah, the packaging, when that happens, we often see packaging that tries to stand out too much. And as a result, they don't like physically fit in. So let me give you an example here. We And there's that balance, right? It's really a, like a fine line between standing out and not fitting in. And so like we had this like wonderful, gosh, it was such a good chip company. They're not in business anymore, actually. Well, here's why. <laughs> They're not in business anymore. But they designed a chip packaging that was really similar to a Pringles tube, you know, so like really tall and skinny and the chips were so good, but they were in this like tall, skinny tube and they wanted to be sold in the chip aisle, obviously, right. They wanted to be with the other chips and they, we could not physically fit them on our shelves Next to the other chips because it was they were too tall, like literally, like I could not put them in the metro shelves. Yeah, so Gabby, we ended up merchandising them on the top shelf, right? So there wouldn't be a shelf above them, right? So the height wasn't didn't matter, but because they were that like Pringle size thing they were really wobbly and so they would just like fall off the top oh. shelf and we had so much breakage on on that product and folks weren't buying them anyways because they weren't like looking up and like reaching to the top shelf and it was just this really challenging cycle there um and we ended up discontinuing the chips and you know they're not in business anymore and i can't help but wonder if they had, if they had just gone with a bag like 99% of other chip companies, what success they would have had.
0: Wow. Yeah. And this is, <laughs> it's funny because this, what you're bringing up right now sort of just ties and plays off of so well of like what Ryan said in last week's episode of, you know, weighing these different marketing decisions and, oftentimes brands sort of focus on the wrong things in their marketing or just in general. And when you weigh like how big the payoff or how bad things can end if you are focusing on the right things. And he talk he also talks about like branding being such a huge, important thing because it's the biggest thing or one of the biggest things that can probably like if it goes wrong, it can really go wrong. But if it goes well, that can also completely make your success. So like, in, you know, in this situation, it's like, that's a big thing. If people, one, like you're on the top shelf and like people can't even reach you or yeah. the product breaks right away in the package.
1: Yeah. All like big, big decisions. Yeah. Gabby, that was such a great last week's podcast episode was such a great one. Maybe we can link that up in our show notes too, if folks haven't listened yet. But the, yeah, the last week's episode with Ryan Pintado-Vertner of
0: Smoketown Consulting. Yeah. That, I mean... 100% of like, oh, that branding and the way that the packages is done. <laughs> and do you yeah.
1: and the Totally.
0: I mean, there's so many things to think about with, with merchandising. Two
1: other ones that are just really important are thinking about your case size and whether or not it, your full case fits on the shelf, like literally on the shelf on the floor, or if you need to split cases and like end up having back stock and how that impacts the logistics and stocking stocking <laughs> steps on the store and really thinking thinking about like what does that store want, right? Do they have space for your back stock? Like, you know, and it impacts your minimum order quantity and your delivery schedule. And I mean, gosh, it's all tied together, Debbie.
0: Yeah. I mean, I know Charlie talks a little bit about this, but like having too big of a case size where it's like, then that's a huge commitment too of like you know, having a Mm -hmm. bunch of products that you order. And then if it's the first time ordering, you don't know how well these are going to sell, you know, sell. Totally.
1: Like I don't want 24 jars of vanilla, right? Like that's not something I, as a grocery buyer, want in my back stock.
0: Yeah, Yeah, exactly. I want
1: six or four.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Smaller case size. Yeah. So this is one of my last questions, Ellie. Or yeah, one of the last questions for today. What are your 22... 2022. Tongue tied here. 2022 (laughs) CPG Reflections uh, and what CPG do's are you taking from this year and which don'ts are you leaving in 2022?
1: Yeah. Okay. So the do, let's start with a positive, right? I want our listeners to build a business that works for them right you do you so i love how much i'm actually like finally starting to hear other people say this in our industry it makes me really really you know thrilled to hear this and you know as you know gabby it's something that we've been saying inside of retail ready you know for years like from the beginning right you have got to design a business model that works for you that works for your own goals your own lifestyle your own financial model and if you don't, right? Like if you don't, when you're building a business that's based on someone else's plan, you're following someone else's path to success and that doesn't really work. doesn't work. It doesn't work. So that's my do, right? Building a business that actually works for you. Gabby. Yeah, I think here would be a great time to give a shout out to Sarah Delavan with the Good Food C- CFO. She... She, you know, as you know, like does financial consulting with for actually a lot of our retail ready students. And she is ch- champion championing this on the financial front as well. So she says it a little bit differently than we do. I think her phrase is build a business on your own terms, which I actually think is a fun little play on like financial terms, right? But um, I think it would be worthwhile to link up her podcast in our show notes as well, because she she oh, yeah. talks so, so, um, so much about building a business that works for you financially. So partnering with the right brokers, the right distributors, the right retail partners, you know, assessing whether or not, you know, wholesale is right for you or direct to consumer, whatever it is. And really, um, I just love that she is is an advocate for the same thing, you know, building a business that that works for you uh, on the financial side of things. So big shout out to to Sarah as well
0: yeah i mean something that i think i'm hearing like coming from what you're saying too is just like not being i think this is something that we've talked about a little bit before but that also comes with like this tendency to like pause and not want to compare yourself to other brands because there's like such a a tendency for us to be like okay well this brand's like gotten some great pr or like they're doing this or like they just got funded but it's like you don't you know we talk about this like you don't know if like the reality is like this happened like recently I was I follow a brand on social media and they like dropped a new product and I was like wow like they're dropping a bunch of products and then like the next week they posted something about like being super excited for it was actually using like a TikTok audio but they were talking about using um being super excited for their product launch but then also realizing that that that, like if they don't sell enough they're going to go out of business and it's like you don't know that until you know, you you just don't know that. You don't know what's going on in other people's businesses. So having a timeline that works for you is so important and not on the timeline that you think everybody else. Yeah.
1: And Gabby, I think it goes for everything, right? It's like timeline, sales goals, marketing strategy, wholesale channels, you know, like all of, all <laughs> of that. Like it's all just... It's so personal. And I think, you know, you're really highlighting that like compare and despair syndrome where we look around and, you know, we see founders do this and, you know, all the time. It's actually one of the things I really like about Retail Ready is that that community feels pretty much anti-compare and despair, right? It's just like one big cheerleading squad.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it feels very transparent. It's not like, you know, I love when I see people's wins, but I also... I love when I see people be transparent, too, about like when there are challenges, because like, you know, as you know, like this, the industry is very difficult. And Charlie talks about this, like, you know, having sort of an ebb and flow sometimes. And as founders know, it's not always going to be rainbows and butterflies, but knowing when other people have similar experiences in, in the challenges, it's almost just as important, I think, because it helps to know that you're not alone.
1: Yeah. I'm really proud, Gabby, that you've cultivated this, um, this, for lack of a better word, but like a, a safe space inside of our retail ready community where founders feel comfortable sharing the lows as well. I think that that's something that you've you've put a lot of effort
0: into over the past year and it really shows. Yeah. Happy to do it because it's, I mean... I feel like they keep referencing past episodes, but also <laughs> I got this episode. Uh, Ali did a past episode with uh, <clears throat> Bear Bear Levtov, And this is something Shulamit talks about with like, you know, especially if you're an entrepreneur or solopreneur, you very rarely have chances to connect with other CPG founders and yeah. you're often so isolated. And so having this community, is so, I mean, even for people who work with a team, but like having a community of people who know exactly what you're going through is so so amazing and so we love i mean that's like that's my favorite part about the community reach already so mm-hmm. me too me too that was a good podcast episode
1: but on founder mental health yeah mm-hmm. that was a good one that was awesome can i share my don't Oh yeah, go ahead, please. Okay, cool. I'm like, I'm if I if I don't <laughs> say this now, I'm not gonna. Sh- I'm gonna forget. <laughs> no, so you here's running. so that was my do of 2022, right? I want to see brands build like in in short, it's like you do you, right? Good for you, or you know, look at that other brand. Good for them, but not for you. Good for them, but not for you. Like, build a business that works for you. Okay, so here's my don't don't place. All of your efforts getting on the shelf and then have no bandwidth left to get off the shelf and into shoppers' baskets. Right. So that could be <laughs> mental bandwidth. <laughs> it could be financial bandwidth. It could be team bandwidth, you know, whatever it is. Right. So often I see brands place you know, 95% of their efforts in getting on the shelf. And then they're like, oh, shoot, what? It's my job to sell <laughs> off the shelf. <laughs> and there's there's very, you know, few resources left over to, to sell off the shelf. So that's a don't. Maybe that'll be my crusade for next year.
0: Yeah, make, making sure that you have the bandwidth, the resources that, you know, I'm glad you said mental because it's like, it can already feel like, oh, Once I get on the shelf, that's like, (laughs) I'm (laughs) done. Put my feet up, take a break, which, like, yes, you should definitely celebrate that way. But also, totally. I mean, Gabby, there's a reason why we have
1: like over 30% of our retail ready content focused on selling off the shelf. Mm -hmm. You know, I think so often people think retail ready is all about getting on the shelf. Mm -hmm. And it is, right? Like, yeah, we talk about sell sheets and buyer pitches and promotional strategies and all of that sort of stuff. But I think that, like, the secret about Retail Ready is that we talk equally about the next step, which is getting off the shelf.
0: Yeah, exactly. There's no, I mean, not, not to say there's no, but like having a strategy to, to, to stay on the shelf is just as important, like you're saying, because I mean, even that'll even support like when you're getting onto or trying to get into new shelves, like having successful data for saying we sold off the shelf, like we got reorders, you know. We have plans in place for when we're actually on the shelf about, we know, potential promotional plans or what we're doing marketing wise for our products. And yeah, that can just kind of be this like tunnel vision of like, that's it. That's all the goal. And then you're like, wait, hold on. There's category reviews and the buyer is still looking to make sure that we're selling off the shelf. And, you know, we got to make sure that we're doing everything we can to sell off once we're actually on. Totally, sale. totally. It's a
1: long game. Oh, I'm exhausted just thinking about it. <laughs> and that's why we have to reserve some bandwidth to, to make sure that we have that that capacity to focus
0: on on both sides of the coin here. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Plan everything out. Have systems in place for all of those things, which we talk about a lot in Retail Ready, too.
1: You know I love systems.
0: <laughs> oh, having braces. And then that, that also helps reduce the, the mental bandwidth, bandwidth of like yeah. having to start, you know, reinvent the wheel every time. Mm-mm.
1: no, that's okay. I maybe that's the biggest gift of retail ready that we take away that need to reinvent the wheel every time. Yeah.
0: having systems that are easy to use from day one. and then you're just ready to roll from there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. exactly. Awesome. All right, Ali, so this is my final question of the interview. Do you have a favorite retail ready win or student win from or a moment from this year? I have a, I have a lot. This was,
1: okay, Gabby, this is actually the hardest question of the interview because how do I, it's like picking a favorite child, right? Not that I have children, but like, you know, picking a favorite child. I love all of our Retail Ready students and their wins, but uh, I'm just going to do, I'm going to do the one that comes top of mind. I want to shout out Elizabeth Burroughs with jewels Under the Kilt. And her airline win, so she let's go, Elizabeth. Yeah, let's go, Elizabeth. Elizabeth is a Canadian brand, and she, gosh, over a couple months, she was like, she used the support inside of our community and our support calls, and she was like, okay, I've got the opportunity to pitch to an airline. We helped her, you know, make sure that her sell sheet was fine tuned. We went back and forth on sales emails and follow ups and negotiations and all of that sort of stuff, and she. Landed a Canadian airline with her her nuts, right? And then I think the the best part about it, I actually, you know, I pulled this up because I was like, I'm I'm going to need to give a hard a hard number here. I pulled <laughs> up what she posted in our in our student group. I'm just going to read it. She says, "I seriously can't thank Retail Ready for unleashing my beast of confidence." I love this, right? She says, as much, as many of you know, I landed an airline and our first order was 4,039 bags. Love this. It's so specific <laughs> <laughs> that we hand filled and we hand stickered. This is before she changed her packaging, right? She says, we pulled it off. They're on board. But here's the really good news. They're selling. So they just put in their second order. Woop woop. No one said the feeling would be this incredible.
0: How good is that, Gabby? I know it's like it's funny because obviously you're listening, you can't see us, but I'm like (laughs) (laughs) we're like high fiving over Zoom here, yeah. That's hands everything. Unleashing Elizabeth's beast beast of confidence, confidence. and even since I mean I think she posted this sometime in the summer, and yeah, this was in July. This is where in the beginning of November she's posted since then, receiving other you know other orders and having multiple orders like POs to fulfill so
1: yeah yeah and the problem almost becomes like the fulfillment on the uh, on the other side right she's like oh shoot now i got to fulfill these orders <laughs> you know redoing her packaging yeah yeah it's really um elizabeth if you're listening to this we're we're
0: proud of you you're doing great so excited i love elizabeth's uh, brand name as well <laughs> yeah
1: <laughs> maybe we should link that and we'll link her up in in
0: our mm-hmm. show notes too that would be fun yeah. Were there any other, any other wins that you wanted to include? Can I include one more? Yeah, let's do it. Okay, great. Yeah. Yeah. Okay.
1: I think I, God, I don't know. Should we talk about, <laughs> should I talk about Tubi's honey? Or should I talk about power of the almond? I don't know. <laughs> I'm too, I'll and just you- give it. I'm just gonna give a shout out okay. so tobie's honeys gay another gosh another canadian producer here um she hit year fifteen of in her honey business this year and she joined us in retail ready this year right as she like between year fourteen and fifteen in her business and so one I guess just a shout out for like recognizing that there's always more to learn and to having the like humility to continue learning I think is in itself, a big win. But then she said, she said, again, I like pulled these up. So she says, thanks for helping me boost my sales this past fiscal year by 47% just by following so many of the retail ready suggestions or pieces of advice. I mean, 47% that's huge. increase. is, is enormous. I mean, between year 14 and 15 is just Wild, especially you know, I'll be honest. Especially in a year that's been so challenging for so many CPG businesses, so that's a huge win that I'm I'm celebrating with Gay.
0: Yeah, and Gay also just like another shout out for Gay. Like, also, also, I mean, despite being in in business for 14 years, and not even despite like, she comes in and there are brands who are maybe a little bit more, a little bit younger in their in their CPG journey, and she is, and they're so supportive, like ready to, like, jump on and be like here's a suggestion or here's what i do and mm-hmm. it's so sweet i love gay so <laughs> yeah me too
1: me too i mean talk about being supportive in our student group i think the last shout out for kirk with the power of the almond is is right there Alongside, you know, alongside gay, like Kirk is Kirk is in there sharing how gosh, my favorite thing that he has shared in there is his paid ad strategy for reinvesting in each new wholesale account that he gets. It's it's brilliant. And I've seen other retail ready students go in and and use that same strategy and replicate Kirk's success. So here's what he said. He said. He posted this again. I'll just read it. Guys, I want to share what Retail Ready has done for me in such little time. I joined Retail Ready in May and instantly got to work going through the course and following the instructions to a T. In the span of just three months, we've increased our revenue by 54%. And for the first time ever, we hit a 10K in profit in just one month. I went from being in one grocery store to now 15. That's huge. We just I mean, there's a Kirk Kirk is just, you know, we've got our hashtag be like Kirk for a reason,
0: <laughs> yeah, and a, another situation too, where again, like I think Kirk posted this one in I'm trying to remember in um August? May, June, July, August, yeah, in August. and yeah, he's come back with other wins win too. after win, yeah, yeah, yeah it's really
1: yeah. It, I just Gabby, yeah, I'm trying to think about like what's the through line here? For successful retail ready students, and I think it's it comes back to doing the work, right?
0: I think doing the work and also like <clears throat> I think about elizabeth and and Kay and Kirk, like this is something I think Ali will expand upon this in in one of our future episodes for the the end of the year, but having that mentality, like like you've talked about of knowing that I can figure this out. Hmm. Like they're both, or not both, but like all three of them are people who are just like from what, what I've seen like in, in our group, just very level headed about like, okay, this is a situation or a potential situation, but like I know that I can figure this out. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yep. Yeah. Yep. Looking at challenges and seeing them as things that are figure outable rather than roadblocks. Yeah. Yeah,
0: exactly. I like that. Oh, I loved all of these. These are so great. So thank you so much for sharing. these. Well, Gabby, thank you for putting together a fun interview list and all
1: these really thoughtful questions.
0: Of course. Yeah. This is the first time, I mean, that we've really done like a full interview episode. So let us know too, guys, if, if you're listening and you have ideas of uh, other topics, I guess we can, we can tackle. Um, you can always yeah. send Ali a DM through Instagram or email me at hi at aliball.com. Um, and then, of course, we talk about every episode in the Food Bizwiz podcast. Well, Food Bizwiz Facebook group, mm-hmm. which we'll have linked in the show notes, and those will be in our our full show notes. So just make sure if you're if you're listening in Spotify or Apple Podcasts that you're going on to the full show notes. Um, but yeah, it's it's amazing to see in that group, especially to seeing brands connect over episodes or topics. We'll oftentimes post questions and you know opportunities for brands to connect over different different situations or experiences. But um yeah. Oh actually, you know what, Ali? I was wrong. So sorry about that. <laughs> I have one more question here. Okay. Tell us more about any of the changes that are coming to Retail Ready in
1: 2023. Yeah, sure. I'm glad that you asked this because it's important. And you know, Gabby, you know that we we are all about transparency here, and so I, I'm like shouting this from the rooftops that <laughs> in, in 2023 in January we are updating, we are um, increasing the price of retail ready. We're increasing it by four hundred dollars, and that means if you are listening and if you have been on the fence about retail ready. I'm telling you the price is going to increase in January, right? And I Gabby, you know, I'm I'm really careful about this cuz I don't it's not a sales tactic, it's not like a fake thing. Like we are literally increasing the price in January. So, if you want to lock in our 2022 <laughs> pricing, right. come and join us now in Retail Ready. We are also changing our lifetime access option and it will be 1 year access to our program inside of Retail Ready. So again, if you want lifetime access, if that feels important to you, Come and come and join us in before January in 2022 here, and then we're actually going to add on um, more options for accountability and an accountability track inside of of Retail Ready, which I'm really excited about. We haven't even told our current students about it yet, so consider this your little sneak peek. You'll hear more about it as we get closer to January, but there'll be even more ways to get accountability and
0: support inside of Retail Ready, which I'm really really excited about. Yes. Awesome. I'm so excited for all of these things. I mean, especially the accountability options, like that's something that we hear feedback from all the time ta- from students all the time on how amazing it is to have, you know, groups of people to be able to share with and yeah get back onto your work. With. Yeah. So awesome. Thank you, Ali, so much for joining me for this episode. I've had a lot of fun so far. So again,
1: let us know. Me too, works. Gabby. Me too. And, you know, we already celeb- we celebrated this back in September. But for our listeners who didn't hear our September episode, Gabby hit her one-year anniversary with us here at Food Biz Whiz, um earlier this fall. And Gabby, again, I can't thank you enough for all that you do here at Food Biz Whiz and all the support you provide inside of our Retail Ready community. I know that you make it so much stronger and more... Um, you know, uh, gosh, a more, a more results oriented and a more nurturing space. Cool. So thank you for
0: that. Thank you so much, Allie. Thank you. Yeah. It's easy with the the amazing team here. So all right, guys, we'll go ahead and wrap up here, but we'll see you next week for our episode with Charlie and hope to see you back on the podcast for the rest of the year as well. Thanks. Guys. Bye.
1: Thanks for listening to Food Biz Wiz. If you're enjoying this podcast and the tools it gives you for growing your packaged product business, please subscribe. So you never miss an episode from one small business owner to another. I am deeply grateful for your support of this podcast, and I appreciate it when you share it with your fellow food founders, share it on social media, or leave me a review on your listening platform. Ready for more? Find out how we can work together at foodbizwiz.com. I'll see you right back here next week.